Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. Mike, can I ask you guys to come up for a second? Yeah. You don't have to say anything. Uh, this, this helps us under because the scene right before Jesus heals a paralytic, but remember for Jess also. Yep, absolutely. This only works with two of you, and you'll understand why. I'm going to make up a story about him. So you were just the closest, and that's why there's nobody sitting in this row. Right? Yeah, okay, <laughs> you know how this goes. Um, so Jesus, before he heals the guy, he he says, uh, "I'm going to forgive. You, I forgive your sin." And the, and the Pharisees are ticked. So he's blaspheming. Because only God has authority to forgive sin. So here's the made-up story. I'm a, you're going to be the bad guy in the story, okay? All right, all right, we can take it, okay. So let's say Mike has hurt Jessica. And he's really hurt her. He's been outright selfish. He's been mean to her, he's whatever. He's sinned against her, okay? Imagine that. Here I come along the way. Mike, I forgive you. How's she feel? Hang on a second. Can I come and do that? You can go back here. Can I do that? It's not my job. Sins against Jess. Jess is the one that forgives him. That's what Jesus is doing. The Pharisees get it. You're not God in this one, but you understand this goes. (laughs) So he's just saying, when we sin, we sin against God. Only God can forgive sin. So when Jesus does that, he is claiming to be God. People go, he never claimed to be God. Yes, he did. The Pharisees, you can sit down. Thank you. It just, it just works better with people. I mean, we, we get it better. I mean, that's exactly what he did. And the Pharisees got it. They call it blasphemy. He's making himself out to be God. So when people tell you that, they're just not reading their Bibles very carefully. That, that's what he's doing. So he did that. And then he, then he says, so this is the events before this. So you know the Son of Man. When he says Son of Man, again, that's right out of Daniel 7. It's a prophetic word about him. The Son of Man is the glorious one who comes in. It, it's, the, it's a vision of him coming back in his kingdom. Just, since you know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, I said, you take your bed and walk. And, and how it ends, the verse is right before this, he says, and when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God who had given such authority to man. They, they got it. That's what has just happened. Jesus has shown that he has authority to forgive sins. And the the Pharisees are alarmed at this because they understand what he's claiming. Now, he blows their mind even further. Because after saying that and doing that, he now goes directly to a great sinner. That's what Matthew calls himself. And he calls him to be a follower And then he goes and has a party with his friends. That is not what a godly person does. That's not how a godly person acts. So they thought. So as we read the text, oh, do you have a mic? Do we have the mic? Okay. Erica's going to read in just a moment. Erica, you can come on up. Um, Michael, get that to you. So as we read the text, you're going to see two why questions. The first one is the Pharisees coming to Jesus' disciples and saying, hey, how come, how come the teacher's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? And the second one is in scene two, where it's John the Baptist's disciples now coming to Jesus himself and saying, hey, how come we fast, the Pharisees fast, and your disciples don't fast? 
Jesus answers both of those. Would you stand with me as we give our attention to the Word of God? Eric is going to read these verses for us. I just invite you to, if you've got your Bibles, keep it open all the way through. This is God's Word. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. As Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as a bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on a garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wineskin put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Let's pray as we stand. Father, again, we've heard your word read now, and so we ask this. We ask this to a God who hears our prayers. God, help our, our spirits to hear this. Give us your kind of ears to hear your word, Lord, that it would... It would have an effect on our lives. Help us to want to receive it and to receive it from you. And then you do the change that you so desire. We ask this in the name of Jesus, the reason why we've come. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Erica. Okay, so what I often do is I like, it helps me see where we're going. And so sometimes we call this the structure or the flow of the passage. I'm just going to do that briefly and then we'll kind of walk through it. It's kind of broke up into two scenes. Uh, They are related in some ways. Um, the first one I'm just calling, this is who needs a doctor and it's verses nine to 13. And basically what you see is verses nine to 10. Uh, you see Matthew. I think we got that one, right? Who, who needs a doctor? Oh, it's there, but not there. Does that one not work? I'm in trouble. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Otherwise, okay. So it just kind of, who needs to doctor? And so first it's Matthew gets called and how he responds verses nine to 10. Then the Pharisees, a question Jesus' disciples about him associating with sinners, and then Jesus responds with a parable and a prophetic quote, which is his explanation. Second scene, I'm calling it, what time is it? Uh, verses 14 to 17. Uh, you'll understand that phrasing a little bit later. But, uh, so John the Baptist's disciples now come and question Jesus' disciples, Jesus, about his disciples not fasting. That's verse 14. And then Jesus responds in the last verses with a parable explanation. There's actually three of them. It's a wedding feast, uh, this patching clothes, and this wine and wineskin. So he, he'll often pepper these things in there. And he does so, I think, to draw us in so we think about it. And I don't know about you, I too often think I understand something and I move on. And Jesus doesn't want us to do it. It's always deeper than I realize. So again, kind of the main emphasis along here is that with the coming of Jesus, God is doing something surprising. You might call it something new, but he's actually been doing it. 
for a long time. It's just being newly seen. It's being more clear. So let me just describe for you for just a moment how biblical themes take place. So the whole Bible's connected together. Okay. But often a, a particular theme, like we'd say the theme of redemption, that we need a savior. It actually starts all the way back in Genesis 3. But the way we understand, it's just like a, like a seed of the theme. Actually, the word seed is used there. And that's what he's talking about. Um, but as it goes on in the Old Testament, we the theme develops, it grows a little bit. So like, think of like a bush and then it gets a little further along. It's like a tr- we, we understand it more. So a theme has a beginning, but it's, it, God's always been doing it, but the understanding comes more fully and it comes and it's the focus of the Bible. The focus of all of God's promises, the fulfillment, it's, it's all in Jesus. So that's, that's how that goes along. So this theme of what God's doing has actually been there, but it's more fully seen now in Jesus. So in that way, it's, it's new. What I'm, what I'm calling here is, is new wine. Uh, I don't expect you to remember this, but again, Matthew's put this all together. Chapter four, he says this. So, you know, it begins with, with uh, birth things and so forth. He's got Jesus being baptized and then he has uh, Jesus out in the wilderness. John the Baptist is taken into custody. And here's what, what, Then what Matthew says, chapter four, verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that's in the background of all this. That's, that's Matthew's summary of what's going on. So when we went through the Sermon on the Mount for chapters five through seven, and and in this section, entrance into the kingdom is what this is, what you're going to see more clearly. How's one in the kingdom? And you see a real difference in terms of how the Pharisees understood it, what Jesus is teaching. And so the way, I forget, I didn't put it in the phrase we use, but something like the theme of Matthew is following the king into his kingdom. That's the call, to follow him that way. And the kingdom of heaven is much different than they understood. So once again, this is really about understanding who Jesus is and his ministry. And he's going to use this analogy, which I'll explain more, about Jesus being the groom and his people being the bride. So that's true in the Old Testament. It's, it's, it's New Testament imagery is, is all. Okay. That's all introduction. That's where it's kind of going. Let's just kind of walk through it together. Scene one, who needs a doctor? So I'm going to read verse nine again. As, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and he followed him. Jesus calls Matthew and Matthew responds immediately. So I don't know if you remember this. It wasn't that long ago. It's chapter eight, verses 18, is that right? 18 to 22. A couple guys come up. Jesus done these miracles. All right, I'll follow you. And Jesus says, hey, foxes, they don't have dens. Birds, I mean, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the son of man, I got no place to lay my head. You want to follow me? And then it doesn't say anything about the guy. So another guy, he says, hey, I'll follow you. Let me first go and bury my dad. And we go like, and Jesus goes like, let the dead bury their own dead. And we go like, man, you've got no compassion. And we walk through this one. That's not it. The guy's dad's not dead. Jesus just been healing sick. If the guy's dad was sick, he would have been there. What's the guy saying? He's probably the oldest. He wants the inheritance. Let me wait till my dad dies. Let me tie up the family. Then I'll follow you. Financial security, who didn't want that? But that, that's it. He didn't, we don't say anything following I think it's chapter four. 
Where's the, where's the calling of the fishermen? Is that four? Yeah. So chapter four, we got these four guys fishing. Jesus goes and calls them. They leave their nets and go. Here we are in chapter eight. These guys, you know, they got, the way I said, they got obstacles to follow in. And they're like not bad obstacles, but they got obstacles. Come to Matthew, Jesus calls. He follows. We're meant to see the contrast in that. Call, left their nets. Obstacles, call. Matthew leaves money on the table. The money's all right. He's a tax collector. And he follows immediately. We're meant to see that contrast as Matthew tells the narrative there. Verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, whose house? It's Matthew's house. Other gospels tell us that more clearly. Behold, many tax collectors and, note the phraseology, sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So we, we see Matthew's delight to bring the rest of his colleagues and friends to Jesus, and they're called sinners. Again, that word we don't like to use, but it's a very helpful descriptive term. In their culture, these were considered the least religious, the least godly people. And the crazy thing is, Jesus seems very comfortable there. He brings his disciples. It's the Pharisees who aren't comfortable. I can't read that without wondering, are we okay with that? Am I okay with that? Really? Who would, who would that be around me in my circles or my work with whomever I interact? Because Jesus is clearly comfortable here. It doesn't tell us his disciples' reaction, but they're following him into it. Must be something he's demonstrating. We notice also then the Pharisees, they, they bring their question to the disciples, not to Jesus. So you might wonder, is this a legitimate question? Or are they trying to undermine Jesus? I would suggest, I think it's the latter. Otherwise, they would ask Jesus himself. So he wants to, why, why, should, why is the teacher doing this? They don't ask Jesus. They ask the disciples. And when Jesus learns of this, the Pharisee's question, he responds with what I call two deep thoughts. One's an analogy, and one is a quote from the Old Testament. So let me read verse 12 again. But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. All right, so let me ask you a question here. Oh, you can, you can raise hands on this one. We'll be participatory. All right, how many of us, when we're sick, we go to the doctor? Oh, that is way better than the other campus, let me tell you. That's good. Or else you're lying. I don't know. Okay. How many of us are reluctant to go to the doctor when we're sick? Yeah, me too. I just, I'll get there eventually. But I, my, one of my best friends is the doctor. Why do I not go see him? I, I don't know. So I don't know if you saw it around, but it's way more of us don't go to the doctor. We're reluctant to go to the doctor. Sorry, Devin. I repent. <laughs> I have friends that are in medicine that are awesome that I... Actually, I tend to call them before I go to the doctor, but I shouldn't say that out loud and on tape, that's for sure. But I just said it. Okay. All right. How many of us would never go to the doctor? Well, that's good. Oh, Grace, you brushed hair aside. I thought that was you saying, or else you were pointing at your dad. I'm not sure. Okay, so follow this. <clears throat> would you rather go to the doctor or would you rather self-heal or self-diagnose? What if it's cancer? What would you rather do? 
Jesus uses this analogy here, and it's not physical. Okay? The issue here is it's spiritual diagnosis or spiritual denial, really, is what it is. They don't get their condition. And Jesus is he's bringing this to them. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. The Pharisees had a wrong assessment of their spiritual condition, and it is fatal. It was for them. It is still true. They thought they were well. Matthew's friends, they knew they weren't. So if we would think about this regarding ourselves a bit, regarding our spiritual condition, I mean, Jesus tells the physical analogy about doctors. That's why I wanted to go there first. So would would we trust our self-analysis spiritually? I don't care what we do with doctors. That's just, that's just a body. This is eternity. Or do we trust what God says? So I don't know, and this, is, this is to your credit, I don't know any of you that ever would come up and ask me for help on a physical problem. You shouldn't. I'm out of my league. It's not my territory. I would send you to Devon. I will send you know, somewhere else. Don't, don't do that. Why do we ignore our spiritual life? Why, why would I ignore my soul, something that's much more important? Why would I trust my own spiritual diagnosis and not just read his word and look what it says and where I am really? So in this, this is an actual event and Jesus tells that analogy, but the temptation for all of us, okay, we're sitting in church, so I'm, I'm not preaching the choir, I'm preaching us. Let's not act like a Pharisee. The Pharisees were in spiritual denial and Jesus is, he's putting that right before them. Now, look at the scripture. He, he said, verse 13, go and learn what this means. Oh, go and learn what this means. That, if you wonder what the point of the whole deal is or what's important, when Jesus says, go and learn what this means, probably important, right? <laughs> go into the whole, that got the analogy. Go and learn what this means. All right, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. We'll just walk through this a little bit. This is actually a quote from the Old Testament. Uh, it's a quote from Hosea chapter 6. Uh, when we get to the second scene, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that just a little bit more. But what's he talking about here? I desire mercy. Where's mercy come from? He's not talking about an action. It's only mercy, a heart of mercy. Loving kindness, not sacrifice, meaning not merely compliance to all the Bible's commands and law. I desire mercy. Clearly, friends, Jesus is not promoting rebellion from God's word, but he's highlighting this, this thing. Mere compliance can lead us to thinking we are better than we are. It's a common problem for us as well. It's just common. We need our hearts changed by him. We need to have a heart like his to love people like him, to love the father like he does. Just think back over the last week. If you can remember. Any places where you act selfishly? We, it, it's just interesting the way we are. We tend to hurt the people we love. What is that? Man, it's, it's a self-centered heart. I want my heart changed like Jesus. This is what he does, by the way, okay? This is what he's calling to 
He's saying this. He's not discounting the commands or God's word or obedience. He's just saying compliance to those things is not, there's something deeper within that must go, that's not me. Something deeper inside that must go on. Go and learn what this means. So let me ask you this. Who is in spiritual need? The Pharisees or the tax collectors? Who needed spiritual rebirth? Pharisees or the tax collectors? It's both, right? It's both. So this wraps up. I, I, I say, I, I think what he's really getting here, what he shows is Jesus loves to pursue the ones furthest away. And that is just counterintuitive to religious people. Let me say it this way. It's, it's counterintuitive to the religions of the world. All religions are not the same. We have a God who loves us, who knows how, what kind of shape we're in, and he pursues us with his son who comes like that. He laid down his life for us. We may not like the term sinners. It is an accurate description, an accurate diagnosis. We care much more about ourselves than we do about God. Which one of us has truly loved God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and our neighbors, ourself? I don't know, it's probably fleeting instances where I've done one or the other, but a change like that. So again, here's, let me just say this really quick. So you got all the commands of God. You can be, I can't meet them, okay? So you got all these things out here, here's what righteousness is. It doesn't mean that we ignore them. But when we see them, what the law does, it shows us we can't do this on our own. We can't get there. I've done the gap thing before. You know how big the gap is. We, we can't. But what, so it's, it's, what that's meant to do is to show us our shortcomings and our need of a Savior. Everything comes to this, comes to Jesus and turning completely to him. Now, when we end this text, I think there's a worship point that comes completely to him. But that's it, simply put. Trust and faith is everything in on him. Trusting his righteousness, trusting his word, trusting who he is and what he's done. And you don't, you don't have to have that. Like your faith doesn't have to be the mightiest faith. It's, it's who you're trusting, but you truly trust him. You truly do. Even though all your questions aren't answered. That's okay. But that's the aim of our lives. I desire mercy, not, not sacrifice. Lord, change my heart like that. Because I can tell you how many times I've not been merciful. Truth is, I, probably most of us like this. I'm, I act way more like a judge in justice than I do mercy. I might not say it out loud, but I see what's wrong. I see what's inconsistent. I need a heart of mercy. I need his heart. So friends, we must know that we are needy, that we are the sick who need a physician, that we are truly sinners who need a savior. The Pharisees didn't think they were bad enough to need a savior. Let me say that again. The Pharisees didn't think they were bad enough to need a savior. They saw themselves as good people who tried to do what was right. That, my friends, is self-righteousness. You can be self-righteous. You can be religiously self-righteous or irreligiously self-righteous. It's a self-righteousness they were blind to. It's a self-righteousness that is spiritually fatal. And it's a self-righteousness that still exists today. The Pharisees not only don't know who Jesus is, they don't know who they are either. And Matthew wants us to see that Jesus came for sinners like us. Which leads us to the next scene. Uh, verses 14 to 17. I call this, what time is it? I think that'll make a little more sense. 
And so basically, as he tells this, it's the time that the groom, that's Jesus, he's here. That's a time to celebrate, not fast. Okay, so right then with those disciples, he's bodily present. So the question comes up about fasting. Um, you might go, so how do, these, how do these connect? So I think there's two things. I think it's interesting in Matthew's story. Um, Jesus is with Matthew and his friends, and what are they doing? Yeah, they're having a party. They're eating. There's food. They know how to do Middle East, they do food. You do not walk into someone's house. You're greeted with food. It's food. That's how you love people. It's food. Guys, that's an awesome thing, isn't it? it it's, our, it's our love language. Other things too, but we bet food's right there. Okay, here we go. So food's there, and now they're going, hey, how come your disciples aren't fasting? Definitely the two scenes are connected. But it's not just about food. So the Pharisees are these ones... You know, he, he said that it's, uh, it's the sick who need a doctor. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So they, they're like the best guys in doing stuff right. So the fasting also here is because that's a very common religious practice that, that religious people do. Good religious people do it. Pharisees did it twice a week, they'd say. So you get both things going on. You got the narrative where they were just eating and they're not fasting, but you have this aspect of what... Godly religious people, they make a regular practice of fasting. But Jesus' disciples didn't. So this time who's asking it is John the Baptist's disciples. Okay, And John, John's in prison, so I think this is an honest question. How come we fast, the Pharisees fast, and, and your disciples don't? He's trying to fear. So Jesus then tells this story. Let me, let me read again. I don't think I gave it to you, Thad. Uh, Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? That would make sense, right? The party's ready to go. Here's, I mean, the groom's here, the bride's here. No, 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 you don't. It's, all, it's a celebration. He goes, the, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And we'll come back to that, because that's the days we live in. So he says that. And then he, then he goes on with analogies about uh, putting new patches on old clothes and, and um, new wine and old wineskins would bust, but you've got to put new wine into new wineskins. He's indicating with the coming of Jesus, God is doing something very new. But let me talk about the bride and groom analogy for just a moment. So the quote I mentioned was from Hosea earlier. Um, this analogy is used many times in the Old Testament. I won't call on you, but how many of you are familiar with the story of Hosea? Okay, how about this? How many are not familiar with the story of Hosea? Okay, good. Some of you really don't like the... It's the so the Hosea story. So Hosea is a prophet, Old Testament, called the Minor Prophets, meaning it's a short book, but this is the longest, I think it's 12 or 14 chapters. Hosea is one of the earliest prophets, and basically what happens with Israel is they become apostate. As they go into, as they're in this land, they begin to worship um, idols, which, so we get... They're actually evil spirits or demons, okay? Is, is what they're, they're worshiping them. And so they've forsaken the Lord and throughout the Old Testament, and you'll see this in New Testament language, James uses this. Um, the word often is used of them committing spiritual adultery. Uh, we got kids here, so I'll be careful, but it uses you know, prostitution, those kind of things. That's what you've done, meaning this. In the analogy, the Lord chose to love Israel. Not because Israel was good. That's not. Abraham was a pagan. He came out of moon worshiping. So we talk about Abraham's faith. 
The faith grows and develops after God's call. It's not because Abram was faithful first when you follow the narrative. God calls him. God sets his love on them, okay? So here's Israel, chosen by God. But what do they think? (laughs) We got it. We got the law, got the miracles, got all these things he's done. They think they're really good, but they, they slide and they're worshiping other gods. And so there's, they're actually used the word spiritual adultery or worse language, more crass language than that of what they've done. So God calls Hosea. Hosea actually lives out a parable. So generally when a prophet's called, the Lord says, Hey, I want you to speak this. So he speaks parables in Hosea's case. He lives one out. God tells Hosea to go marry an unfaithful woman. Presumably, it's already her profession. He marries her. What's she do? She didn't change. She continues to go and commit adultery, and Hosea then goes after her. He doesn't let her go. He goes and gets her, says he actually has to, he pays money for her. So we don't know if this is, you know, the there's temple prostitution, all this stuff, but you know, don't know if she's a sex slave, but there's something. He goes and pays money and gets her back. He does this again and again and again. She has children in these other relationships. And the whole thing, what God's doing, he's showing Israel of his steadfast, faithful love for them, and they are unfaithful to him. It's a stunning narrative. It really happened. It's drawn on many times in the New Testament. So it talks about how wayward we are. It uses really uh, vivid, crass, graphic language to get our attention how far we strayed. That's what Jesus is quoting no, from, from chapters, chapter 6. And Hosea, eventually, there's, there's judge, if you don't turn, here's the judgment's going to come. So this is all before Israel had encountered captivity. And the captivity for them, while it is a discipline of God, it's a discipline that's meant them to turn back to God. Discipline's a good thing. When you do it rightly with your kids, it's so they wake up to how, where this is going. If I let you go on this way, this is bad for you. We'll have bad consequences. When God does that, it's so they turn back to him. The undisciplined child, the Lord, it says he disciplines those he loves. That's what he's doing. He wants them to see it. So they come back. So here, Jesus is quoting from that. And then he uses this analogy, which would not be lost to them in that, in that time. He's still drawing actually on Hosea about the groom is right here. And so this is, this is not a time for fasting. But here's the problem with the Pharisees in Israel's that time. They did not realize how unfaithful they've been to the Lord. They think they are special as God's chosen. They see themselves as in, as well spiritually. Don't need a doctor yet. They're far from God. And they're in much greater need than they realize. Very true then, personified in the Pharisees. And friends, still true. Let's just say we're religious. If we're here in church, you know, whether you feel like you're close to God or not, whatever, there's some way you're just like, but it's still a thing. And so what Jesus says, you get the patch, you get the wine. In the wine, he's saying, Jesus is doing something new here. It, it feels counterintuitive in terms he's going to. But, but what this is, this is heart change. And God's kingdom comes within a person as we lay down our life and submit to him. Matthew left money on the table. Come and follow. I don't know if he had questions. I'm sure everything's not answered in his life. All he knew this, this Jesus has called me. 
whatever he's seen of him. So probably, you know, probably Matthew's heard the Sermon on the Mount. He's probably there. He comes and follows. This is how I want to end. So for any that are yet to believe, people listen online, people, I don't know where everybody's at, but if you're yet to believe, I like to use that term rather than saying you're not a Christian. You say yet to believe because <laughs> God just does things that we can't see. I'm going to tell you this story. I can tell us and change names. So two weeks ago, I'm in, um, this is, yeah, two weeks ago, I'm in a, a country in Central Asia, super persecuted. And uh, we just, oh. I, I love those things because I, I feel powerless when I'm out there. I mean, just stuff I can't do. And I watch God doing stuff all the time. I'm, I feel like I'm just watching God. And sometimes I get lonelier than I've ever been lonely because like nobody's speaking English. And it's like, it's just, it's crazy. Um, but I was asking these guys, there's these three guys, there's one old guy there. And I love asking because they're all, they're all um, grew up Muslim. So I asked this one guy, how did you come to believe in Jesus? So I'm going to change names. <clears throat> and he goes like, oh, it's because of Al. And Al, um, beautiful brother, I've heard him so many times. And he says, well, what happened to Al? He says, oh, man, that's my son. <laughs> I could never keep him out of trouble. I mean, he's always, I'm going to have to get him out of jail, this thing. He's always causing trouble, calling the, causing trouble in the family, causing the trouble in the city. So this is the capital city of their region. And so it's always trouble. When he believed in Jesus, he changed. Oh, later on, he was like, my religion? It never changed anything. Nothing about me. But when I saw Al, he changed. He's humble. He's obedient. He wanted to be at home. He was kind to people. And you know what I did? I accused him. Because you can't convert. I accused him of converting. I had him thrown in jail. Get this. I kept bailing him out of jail. <laughs> now he's, he's a Christian and I threw him into jail. And he goes, and he still loved me. He still was kind. I watched all that. And that's what he said to me. He says, my religion didn't change a thing anywhere. That's what got me. I asked his younger brother, who's four years younger. I didn't know they were related. This is like day three of her training and I'll call him Sam. He, uh, I almost said their real names. Um, he said, uh, Oh, same thing. How'd you become friends? Oh, it's my brother. I said, it's just amazing watching him. My dad threw him out of the house. So he's talking about the same changes. He's kind. He's obedient. He loves people. I mean, he used to always get in trouble. He's always out in the streets, out on the street. Now he wanted to be at home. And my dad kicked him out. And you know what he did? So this is four years younger. But he went across the street and sat on a rock and he wouldn't move. I saw the change in my brother. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. This is all I know. Jesus still changes people. It's what he loves to do. And you don't have to have everything answered. Just ask him. If you're yet to believe, I just simply ask, what, what's holding you back? And is it worth it? This whole thing is about really spiritual diagnosis and where we're really at. And all of us need him more than we know. It doesn't matter whether you're religious or not, tax collector or Pharisee, they both need him. So that's there. And if he calls, just, just follow. You don't have to have it all figured out. So that's what I'd say to those who are yet to believe. To those who do believe, you have, you do, okay? What time is it for us? 
time. So I think in this analogy, the bridegroom left. He's going to come back. So we're in the time of fasting. Jesus said that would be. That is, we're in the time of waiting for his return, longing for his return. It's a time of, of worship with our lives. We, we, we long for his reign and his return. We, we live for him. We, we offer our lives in following him. So here's how I want to say this. So fasting, we think of being um, mourning. You're going without because you, you're longing for something to happen. That's how we live in this way. Brokenness all over the world. Sin affects everybody. It makes us sad. It's not the ultimate reality. All true. It's happened. There will be a day when Jesus comes back and makes all wrongs right. There will be a day of judgment. Those who have rejected and will experience that. That will happen. But in our, our longing for that, we don't stay in just the brokenness. It's seeking our Savior and what he wants to do. Because you know what he wants to do? When Jesus returned to heaven, what did he do 10 days later? He said, I'm, I'm sending you my spirit. So we say the Holy Spirit, it's his spirit. Sometimes when we say Holy Spirit, it sounds like it's another guy. It's his spirit. It's the spirit of Jesus. It's what he, what he gives to his church. This is who changes us. It's not me just hunkering down, determining I'm going to do this. No, it's me repenting of my sin and saying, God, I'm in it. Blooming it, I'll say other words, but I need you. It doesn't matter whether you're religious or not religious. Pharisee or tax collector, it doesn't matter. This is the one we need. So we're turning there with all our heart, asking him to do that in us. And then live for him as full as we can in faith. We don't have to have it figured out. And the in faith, I, you know, I like things easy. I like it. Be, can I just sign the contract and then we're done with this? It's not like that. It's every day walk with him. Repentance and faith. Journey this every day walk with him by God's intention. It's a beautiful thing. It's hard. But we follow Jesus in it. Forgiveness is not human. It's God. Why would I forgive anybody? Because God's forgiven me. When I have my eyes here, this is where the change comes. This is, this is the time we live in. And it, living like that in faith, it's, it's sheer worship because we're giving up our life. It's surrender. It's leaving money on the table. That doesn't matter. It's following him so that his life gets lived through us in this city, in this region that needs him bad, every place we've been, every place he's put us, coworkers, neighbors, college, wherever it is, that's worship. As we pray for and long for his return, and here's what we know. He hears our prayers. We saw this in Matthew 6. Your father knows what you need before you ask, so why do I ask? Because he wants us to talk to him. The older I get, a couple things happen. The more I pray. This is the beauty of age, by the way. Some of you are in my camp. <clears throat> Thanks. <laughs> you remember the other camp. The older I get, there's less things I do well. Things I used to be able to do, I can't do. There's less control. That's a good thing. It's always been so. When I was 30, I thought I could do anything. That was just sheer arrogance. I hated fixing cars. I thought, all I got to do is want to study it. I just don't want to. 
The older I get, the more I realize what I can't do. And you know what that makes me do? I talk to God more. The reason why Central Asia is so beautiful for me is I am so far out of my comfort zone, I don't know what to do. I'm talking to him all the time. Some of you are saying, that's my whole life. Yep, good. That's good. That's how we're meant to be. We live in this time waiting for his return. We long for it, but we're not staying in just the, this is bad. Absolutely it is. But he's called his children to give up their lives, to follow him in faith and surrender. Then it's his light that shines through us so that he's seen, not, dude, that guy's an awesome guy. I'm not. That Jesus is seen all we do. Let's love him with all we have and people as ourselves. Love him like Jesus. Lord, do that. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this word from this text, you would drive it right into our hearts. You know everyone here? You know who's listening on the internet? Uh, you prepared this for us today, and we didn't know it. So let us receive it in the way you intend. Father, I repent. I know I'm, um, I'm much more judged than merciful. I may not look like it outside or whatever, but I know what goes on in my mind, even at home. Make my heart like yours. Make our hearts like yours. Cause us to see ourselves, Lord. Some of us, we, we've felt like we're pretty okay. We're more Pharisee than we realize. Help us to see ourselves and not trust our own diagnosis of spiritual condition. And Lord, if it means you got to break us, then break us. But help us to come and follow you. There's some, Lord, that might be super discouraged because of their life. And I, I pray, Lord, you would give them great encouragement today and courage to follow you and strength to do that and whatever it is and the ability to believe and trust you. I thank you that your word's alive. I thank you for the brothers and sisters that we're gathered with here. So many of them are so helpful to us. And Lord, thank you again that you hear our prayers. <laughs> Sometimes prayers of desperation. And you love to do surprising things. So let that new wine flow in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.